You're listening to the Fortress Church Audio Podcast. We're a church all about loving God and loving people. Let's listen in to our lead pastor, Randy Garcia, from this past Sunday's message. So open up your Bibles and tune in. Well, today we're going to talk about victory. I hear that there's some sort of football game going on a little bit later on today. And and uh, whether you are an Atlanta Falcon fan or New England Patriots fan or a fan of neither team like me, I just, just want a good game, all right? Uh, spiritually speaking, we can be part of a winning team when we are with the brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? And First um, John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, I'm going to read this from the message version of the Bible, and I love what it says because it talks about victory. It talks about winning over the world. It says, every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. How many of you know that we can have victory in Jesus? Amen. Lord, we consider it a privilege to be in your house today, and we thank you, Lord, that you have ordained this day for your people to come together, and we pray that, Lord, your blessing and anointing would be upon your word as uh, and it is proclaimed right here. Lord, we, I, I need your anointing as your servant here. Lord, I am nothing without you, but right now I just pray, we pray together that your Holy Spirit would be right here in a special way. In the name of Jesus, we pray all this. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as many people have uh, are talking about this big uh, uh, football game, so to speak, here, that's going on Super Bowl 51, and, and I do enjoy sports, but I have noticed a difference, a contrast between attending a football game and attending church, and maybe you can see it as well. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Number one, we talk about uh, weather. In a football game, many people will go out in the freezing cold and rain, and and they don't mind being out in the cold, in the weather in extreme circumstances to watch their team win. But the minute it starts to drizzle on a Sunday morning, what happens? People tend to, oh, I can't go to church, right? <laughs> uh, so... You know, I notice there's a difference or a contrast. Let me go on here. Number two, seats. You know, we can go to a stadium where there's uh, maybe a, some of you like to go see high school football and you see a, a bench, there's no back. The seats are really uncomfortable. But we don't mind because we're there to see a football game for three hours. But if the seats at church for an hour and a half are not comfortable, we tend to complain, huh? Are you noticing a little contrast here? How about number three, the price of seats? Somebody tell me, how much does it cost to get a Super Bowl ticket today? In the thousands of dollars, am I right? Yeah, I, I kind of uh, kind of think it is. But So the minute you talk about money at church, uh, people start getting a little uncomfortable, right? I'm just saying, right? How about location of seats, okay? By this, I mean, we when we go to a football game, we want to get as close to the front as we possibly can. But at church, you need to get here early to get a back seat. Huh? <laughs> Just saying. And number five, in overtime, sometimes a football game goes overtime. But when church goes overtime, well, I'm not going to go there, okay? You know, 
think you know what I'm talking about. We tend to complain if the pastor preaches a little too long, huh? <laughs> I'm just noticing a contrast there. Today we're going to talk about winning teams, and I'm not going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons or the New England Patriots. I'm going to talk about God's winning team and how we are winning together. Now, help me fill in the blank here. Let's see, let's see how, how smart you guys are. Um, if I say this, if you want to do something right, you've got to do it what? Ah, who is a smart one who said together, huh? All right, there you go, Nancy. She had the right answer. The world will tell you if you want to do something right, you've got to do it yourself, right? Don't you hear that from the world? But God's ways, I mean, God's ways are different. So I want to say this, if you want to do something right, you've got to do it with others. Do I hear an amen to that? Because we are better together. How about this one? You've got to look out for... Well, what, the world, what does the world say? Number one, right? You've ever heard that phrase? You've got to look out for number one, talking about yourself. But I, honestly, I kind of think that we need to rephrase that and say, you've got to look out for the good of others, right? Because let, let, it's not about myself, it's about others. Sometimes the world's ways are different than our ways. That old Frank Sinatra song says, I did it what? My way? Uh, can we, shouldn't it be better to say I did it God's way? Just a thought that maybe, uh, maybe we can do it God's ways. It's so much better. Today, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6, a story that you may be familiar with. It's a story of how God's people came together and as a team experienced victory. And that's what we want to do as a, as a church, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We want the victory that God gives us. The scene is this. God has a special calling upon his people, the Israelites. God took them out of the land of bondage in Egypt and was taking them to the promised land. The journey was long. It should have taken about two weeks. It ended up taking how long? About 40 years. And along the way, Moses, their leader, had passed away. But now they face, with a new leader, Joshua, they face an obstacle. The good news is God, when Moses was leading, parted the Red Sea, and they were on their way. The good news is, once Moses passed away and Joshua took over, guess what God did? He parted the Jordan River, so they were on their way. So after they, they crossed the Jordan River, entered into the Promised Land, about five miles into Israel, they come across this city of Jericho. And let's read about what takes place here. Joshua chapter 6. Scripture says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. By the way, what does the ark represent? Anybody can tell me that? The presence of God. Let me know whenever you're going to do something good for the Lord, you always need to be in the presence of God. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. 
So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city, with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Verse 8, When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had given the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, carrying the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed in the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. On the seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she did hide she, she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make a camp of Israel liable to the destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Verse 24, then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. So that's a great story. I love that. Perhaps you're familiar with this. But what is the significance of this story? Once again, let's look at the background so that we could fully understand what is taking place. God, God had set aside many blessings for his people. Kind of like today, he sets aside many blessings for you and I. And God gives us his promises for the Israelites, God gave them the promise of a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what he said in Scripture. But their journey wasn't an easy journey. How many know whenever God gives you something, we have to do our part and God has to do his part? God will do his part. It, God could have easily just snapped his fingers and taken all of his people from Egypt and supernaturally placed them in the land of Israel so that they could possess it. But God usually doesn't do things like that. God wants you and I to do our part. What was, what was, what was our part? On behalf of the Israelites, they needed to proceed. 
get out of Egypt and proceed to the promised land. It wasn't an easy journey. There were miracles along the way, praise God, but it wasn't an easy journey. As we see what takes place here, they crossed the Red Sea. Then, as I said a few minutes ago, the Israelites were under the new leader, Joshua. They crossed the Jordan River, get into Israel, and the first city they come across, about five miles west of the Jordan River, is a city named Jericho. Now, Jericho was that first city. It was the oldest and most protected city in the area. It was a strategic stronghold that needed to be defeated in order to possess the land. In other words, this was their land, and Jericho was the first city they encountered. So in in essence, they were saying, we need to conquer this city because once we do that, then everything around there is, is ours. That's the first place of victory. But if they couldn't conquer this one city, then it would, it would restrict them from claiming all that God had for them. Now, archaeologists tells us that Jericho is not a big city. Some of you have been there. I've been there. And uh, it, was, it was a place that the city wasn't very big. Some archaeologists says that the old Jericho was only 10 acres, and that's it. It's the whole city. You know, we here at Fortress Church, we have 11 acres. So it's not that big of a city, but its walls were huge. The walls around this city kept anybody from going in. And I want you to picture this. So uh, Jericho was standing on the foot of the western hills of Canaan, and uh, the Israelites couldn't go into the area because, once again, they were, they wanted, uh, those who were living there wanted to keep God's people out. The walls were from 30 to 60 feet high, up to six stories high, these walls, about 12 to 45 feet thick, and uh, it was, the, the walls were huge. And it signified that nobody could come in and penetrate uh, that city. It was a symbol, these walls of Jericho, it was a symbol of the enemy's strength and power. Jericho stood directly opposed to Israel's inheritance, and it had a reputation for being indestructible. Yet God was telling his people, I am giving you victory. I am giving into your hands the city of Jericho and what is in it. Now, what is the significance? I want to talk about this and walk through a few lessons if you would picture this with me. Lesson number one is this. The enemy has stolen Many blessings that belong to you. The enemy has stolen many blessings that belong to you. The devil is an expert wall builder. And I'll explain this in a minute. The devil loves building a wall that separates you from God. The devil loves building a wall that separates you from your blessings. The scripture tells us in John 10.10, the thief, speaking about the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, says the Lord, have come that they might have life and have it to its full. So let's think about this. The devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. I want you to understand that the devil wants to take whatever he can from you. And there are many believers, some, some may be sitting right here today, that the devil have st- has stolen certain things from you. Let's take, for example, joy. There are many Christ followers who live life without the joy of the Lord. Why? Probably 
because the devil has stolen their joy. Because at once, these Christ followers, and maybe it is you, had a life filled with joy and serving God, but now it's like, man, I've kind of lost my joy. Well, did you lose your joy? The devil, did the devil come in and take it away from you? Has the devil stolen it from you? There's others of you that don't have peace of mind and peace of heart. Maybe, perhaps, it's because the devil has come in and stolen your peace. And I want you to picture this because it goes in line with what God is trying to teach us through this story in Joshua chapter 6. I want you to picture how the devil comes in. Let's just say he steals your joy. He takes away your joy. Perhaps it's because of circumstances that you've been dealing with. Life happens and you lose your joy. Or better still, the enemy has taken it from you. Picture the enemy taking away your joy and pulling it. Let's just say he puts it over here. Let's just say you're going through life and you lose your purpose for life. See, every single one of you have a, has a purpose in life. God has given you a purpose in life. You know what the devil loves to do? He loves to take away your purpose in life. He'll take it away and he'll put it over here. And he'll take away different things from your life. It could be peace. It could be joy. It could be your, um, your, your faith in God. He'll take away what belongs to you, what God has given you, and he steals it away because the devil is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he takes it away. And you know what he does? He builds a wall around here so that you can't get to those blessings of God. That's what the devil likes to do. He'll steal something from you. Place it in a place, and he'll build a wall so that there's a barrier between you and the blessings that he has stolen from you. The blessings that God wants you to take hold of. See, that's what was happening here in Joshua chapter 6. There were so many things that were there in the city of Jericho that God wanted to give his people. God says, I am giving you this city, but we first need to break down those walls. We find later on that the city is filled with gold and, and silver and bronze and, and iron and all these great, great tre- uh, treasures. God had so much behind the walls. And God says, I'm going to give you a strategy to break down those walls and take back what the devil has stolen from you. So many times we live life without purpose in life, because the devil has stolen it from us. We live life without the joy of the Lord, because the devil is, and, and it could be our health, it could be uh, our, things in the workplace, it could be a relationship, it could be a marriage. The devil loves to steal, kill, and to destroy. But it's time. It's time to follow what God wants us to do. You, you, know, what the, you know what the devil loves to do? He'll leave you with certain things. You know what he'll leave you with? Pain. He'll leave you with guilt. He'll leave you with discouragement and depression. The enemy will leave you with bankruptcy or abuse or condemnation or confusion. That's what the devil loves to leave you with. But in the meantime, he takes away the blessings that God intends for you. As we, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking uh, about uh, some, some, uh, even some godly football players like Jason Witten of the Dallas Cowboys I know he's not playing today, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pray for the Dallas Cowboys, those of you who are Cowboys fans. 
need a lot of prayer, by the way. Anyway, that's another story. But, um, but I happen to know that when Jason was a little boy, he, he dealt with domestic abuse. He saw how his dad abused his mom. And the devil tried to steal Jason's heart as a young boy. The devil tried to steal Jason's relationship with his dad because of the abuse that his dad was placing upon his mom. But Jason, as a young boy, was taught what it means to serve God, and he overcame that. The devil tried to steal. In fact, for, for a certain amount of time, I believe he did steal from Jason's heart. I want you to listen to his testimony about what he did to overcome and break down those walls so we could take back what the enemy has stolen from him. I want you to watch this testimony. All pro tight end Jason Witten told CBN's Tom Buring his game plan to stop domestic violence in today's Faith on the Field. Jason Witten is catching passes at a historic rate, all under the long-revered trademark of the Dallas Cowboys. What is it about that iconic Lone Star on your helmet? There's a tradition with the star. This is a team that was built on foundation, Tom Landry. The standard here is to be the best in everything that you do on the field, but how you carry yourself off the field as well. This star is is global, and uh, I think there's some respect that comes with that in trying to be your best. The 13-year veteran is among the best. The 10-time Pro Bowl player ranks second in all-time career receptions and receiving yards by an NFL tight end. Jason has become a cornerstone for the Cowboys franchise. I believe wholeheartedly in the process of becoming great. Greatness is, is a characteristic that is not easy. Being a leader, a guy that can show it and demand it and set the standard every day of what we want to accomplish through success and also through adversity. Toughness has become his trademark. He's the league's all-time leader for consecutive starts by a tight end with a streak that began back in 2006. Durability and toughness. We hear that about you over and over. Where does that come from? God's blessed me with that. That's being able to be mentally tough and to control your thoughts. And I believe in that. See through the dark days. And uh, God's shown me that in my own life. That's not only how you play football, that's how you live life. Surprisingly, it's an all-pro strength the tight end discovered the hard way, away from the football field, at home, as a boy, while enduring the pain and consequence of domestic abuse. It impacted my childhood a lot. And uh, my mom was a strong woman uh, to handle what she went through. And uh, it's tough. Uh, My dad was somebody we loved. But on a handful of days, it it was your worst nightmare. The pain was deep. It was real. It was something we felt. Seeing others go through pain, such as your mom. I can remember being in the bedroom and just thinking, when's this going to end? It did when he was 11. Jason's mom left with her three sons to move in with her parents. His grandfather, Dave Ryder, became his father figure. The legendary high school football coach was also the first to mentor Jason as a player. They were just a great example in our life. What characteristics you want to have. And more than that, they're the ones that took us to church and led us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what changed our life. We're forever grateful for that. Gratitude that has turned toward giving, reaching thousands of lives. The Jason Witten Score Foundation provides support to individuals and assistance to families affected by abuse. My support in stopping domestic violence is unwavering. And I think as athletes, I really believe big, strong, physical men that are in, have national spotlight, uh, that's our platform, that's our duty is to speak out. The younger victims, what's the biggest thing that they're facing? 
they feel like they're hopeless and they think something's wrong with them and why am I messed up? I, I just try to provide hope and say that you are beautiful, you are smart. Provide avenues for these moms to get back on their feet and encourage them that your family is going to be okay. And I think that comes with the perspective of knowing who Jesus Christ is, that he's your savior and that you got to have faith that God's grace is amazing. With it, Jason has learned to sidestep the trappings that come with resentment. If I talk about my life and overcoming the obstacles, I think it was truly finding forgiveness. It allows you to grow and move forward in your own life. And so if I didn't have that, I don't think I would have been able to have the career I've had, the family I've had, because there would have been a lot of resentment. And it didn't come easy. It took time. I'm thankful for being able to forgive. And the freedom that comes with that is an amazing feeling. He's a special player. Some people say it, but they don't necessarily have the actions behind it, and he does. And, you know, we're all given grace by the Lord, so no one's perfect. But, you know, Jason's about as close as I see, so he's awesome. The tight end who has overcome adversity is redefining what greatness is. To be able to see, truly understand redemption, you, you, you have to go through it. When you constantly go to your relationship with Jesus, you understand that he is the way. And in my life, the redemption part of it is to be able to say, we went through it, we forgave, and now look at our family, look at our life, and the people that we're, we're reaching. I think it's always better to give and have an understanding that that's, that's what greatness is all about. Amen. Yeah. In Jason Winton's case, the enemy tried to come in and steal, and for a certain extent he did. And I can imagine the enemy kind of stole what was belonged to Jason, and the enemy built a little wall around here. But you know what broke down that wall so that Jason could take back what the enemy had stolen from him? He said it, forgiveness. Did you catch that? Forgiveness. He forgave. You know what forgiveness does? Forgiveness tears down the walls so that you and I can grab hold of all the blessings that God has for us. So many people cheat themselves out of the great blessings that God has waiting for them because they're, willing, they're not willing to forgive. We've got lots of lessons to learn. Jason went and learned that, and look how God has elevated him because he broke down those walls. Number two, your victory is waiting for you on the other side of your obedience to God. Your victory is waiting for you on the other side of your obedience to God. And the reason I say this is because sometimes what God tells you to do doesn't make a whole lot of sense. March around the city six times, once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. God, that doesn't make very much sense. How many know that sometimes God's ways are not like our ways? And sometimes we've got to do things that are out of the box and out of the ordinary because that's the way God is. That's the way God is. Many of you today have come into God's house and you need a breakthrough. Well, sometimes you've got you've to just obey God. God says, you know what? You've got to grab hold of the blessings that I have for you, but there's certain things you need to do. Your blessing, your victory is on the other side of your obedience to God. When you obey God and do what he tells you to do, the blessings are there. It doesn't make sense to give to God when, Lord, I, I barely have enough money to pay my bills. But even if you pay, if, even if you give God a little bit, you know, it doesn't make sense. But it's a matter of obedience. 
Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole said this, Obedience is an act of faith. Disobedience is a result of unbelief. Number three, your victory comes when you connect with God and connect with people. I'm going to say this again. Your victory comes when you connect with God and you connect with people. And we're going to talk about how God's people came together and established victory. First of all, let me show you a picture, and I want to see if you can identify this guy and his claim to fame. Show me the next slide. Okay. Is anybody here, can anybody here tell me who is this guy and what is his claim to fame? Does anybody know? Boy, you guys didn't do too good on this little test, huh? Okay, I'll I'll go a step further. His name is Andrew Gaze. Now, does anybody know who, what his claim to fame is? I don't see anyone, Walter, huh? There you go, Walter, got it. Show us the next slide. In 1999, the San Antonio Spurs were the NBA champions for the first time, and Andrew Gaze was on the team. He got a championship ring, but we only remember Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Sean Elliott and Avery Johnson. How many of you remember, besides Walter, Andrew Gaze? That's a good one, Walter, okay? Not too many of us remember Andrew Gaze, but guess what? He was on the team. He got a championship ring. Now, was he the most talented guy on the team? No. Did he make the most money? No. Did he have the most notoriety? No. But he got a championship ring. He's a champion. You know why? Because he placed himself on the right team. Does anyone know what we're talking about here? Life lesson. You don't have to be the most talented or the best looking or the smartest person to be a champion. You simply need to be on the right team. Is anybody getting my point here? You just said, and now what team am I talking about? I'm talking about God's team. Okay, because once you place yourself on God's team, you know, you have somebody who's better than David Robinson and Tim Duncan. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is your mighty warrior, and he can fight your battles and bring you victory. All you need to do is just hang on for dear life. I'm on this team. Okay, I'm with this guy. I'm with this guy. (laughs) You see, your victory comes when you connect with God, when you connect with the right people, God's people. Here's a few quotes on the topic of teamwork. Uh, Michael Jordan said, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Jeremy Benjamin, or Jeffrey Benjamin said this, a team is a group of individuals that support each other. I kind of like that one. Huh? How about this quote from Helen Keller? Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Now, and once again, let me give you my life lesson. You don't have to be the most talented or the best looking or the smartest person to be a champion. You simply need to be on the right team. That's it. Just need to be on the right team. So here we see in Joshua chapter 6 that there, was, there were a lot of people. Praise God for Joshua. He was the leader that God had placed in front of his people. Caleb was a great leader. We read about that. But there was a whole lot of people that just needed to be on the team because, after all, it was God who was leading them. And God gave them specific instructions. 
to come together in unity so that they could obtain their victory. Together, God's people marched. Together, they blew trumpets. Together, they shouted. Together, they saw those ugly walls come down. And together, they had victory. Amen? I hope you're getting the point here is together we can have victory. We're talking today about winning together. You were not meant to live your Christian life on your own. We need each other. We need each other. There are times that I need your prayers. And so many of you pray for me. You know, I need you. There's times that you need me and other people to pray for you and lift you up. When you're going through a difficult time, we need each other. Kind of reminds me of the conversation that Jesus had with Simon Peter. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. When Simon Peter makes his statement, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, wow. I love that where it says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Does anybody want to overcome the gates of hell? Amen? But did you notice what the scripture said? This is Jesus speaking. Do we overcome the gates of hell by ourselves? No. It says, with the church. Did you catch that? That's right. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What's it referring to? The church. What I'm saying, my friend, is that alone... Don't try to storm the gates of hell, okay? (laughs) Don't try to take the devil by yourself. We need each other. We can do it together. We can be winners together. We need the body of Christ. We need the brothers and sisters. My friend, we are better together. This is what we're talking about when we talk about victory. Praise God for victory. And it comes when we unite together. Would you stand with me right now? Amen. As we began this message, I quoted from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And it says this from the message version of the Bible. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Oftentimes what I like to do is I like to take a scripture and I like to personalize it and say, Lord, I believe this passage is for me today. And sometimes we can personalize it. I call this praying scripture or declaring scripture. And if I were to take this passage, it would go something like this. I will conquer the ways of the world. The conquering power I have is because of my faith. I am an overcomer because of my faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. I'm going to say this one more time, and I would love it if you would say this along with me. Here we go. I will conquer the ways of the world. The conquering power I have is because of my faith. I am an overcomer because of my faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Yes, I am an overcomer. 
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And for a few moments, we're going to have a little talk with Jesus, okay? Because what a great opportunity we have to respond. There are many of you that have walked into God's house today, and you have identified what the devil has stolen from you. Perhaps it is joy. Today's your day. You can get it back. Perhaps it is peace. Today is a day you can get it back. And together, we as a church, we're going to proclaim that those walls that have been dividing us from the blessings of God, those walls are coming down in the name of Jesus. And we're going to grab hold of what God has for us. Can you be just honest with your head bowed and eyes closed? Can you identify with something in your life that you believe the devil has stolen from you? Maybe it's your purpose for life. Maybe it's a calling to ministry. Maybe whatever it is, it's your joy or you've lost your love, your first love. Could you be honest enough to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I know what it's like to have the devil steal something from me. But I'm ready to take it back. I'm ready to take it back. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your every hand that is raised. Thank you for listening to this audio podcast. Fortress Church is located in San Antonio, Texas, near Bandera and Pru Road. For more information, check us out at www.fortresschurch.org.